Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up bugs. <laughs> Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Grimm. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. Yay, season four. I'm fucking pumped. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like vibrating at the speed of light. <laughs> fucking love this season. Mm-hmm. I love this episode. Mm-hmm been a very long journey so i'm excited to get into the meat of some good supernatural content yes and i know like a lot of people when they're recommending this series will tell people to like skip to this season Mm -hmm. so that should tell you a lot (laughs) well if this episode's any indication i'm very excited it is very nice to have episodes to post again very nice to not be on hiatus anymore. I hope everyone is excited is as excited for this new episode as we are, because like I said, vibrating at the speed of light. <laughs> and just as a reminder, we do still have our season three and review episode posted up there. If you're interested in hearing what we thought of season three as a whole and on what uh, Jordan predicted for the entirety of season four, as well as some fic recs from me and some fun little alternate season three content from Allie should definitely check it out. It's a super fun time. Mm-hmm. We just bullshit for like an hour <laughs> instead of picking apart camera angles. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend. Mm-hmm. It's a fun time. Without further ado... Today's episode is season four, episode one, Lazarus Rising, or as I like to call it, To Hell and Back, A Hobbit's Tale by Bilbo Baggins. (laughs) This episode was written by Eric Kripke and directed by Kim Manners and originally aired on September 18th, 2008. I have to say, we were talking a little bit about the season three wrap up and like my predictions. I had actually hoped that this wouldn't happen. I kind of wanted time for the world to marinate without Dean. But I have to say, I kind of like that we were just thrown into this in the exact same way that Dean was. Right. It's very cool. They like take a lot of care to put us like directly in his point of view as well. It's not just Mm -hmm. that we're like viewing the scene from his perspective. Like we start out on this super close-up of his eyes, like in terror, like back and forth, Mm -hmm. like encouraging us to, you know, imagine what he is going through and like what sort of horrors in hell he could possibly be seeing. And I think it's just so smart and has saved so much money. It's sort of like we were talking about this with the hellhounds at the end of season three and like how not showing them 
really allows the audience to make their own conclusions about what they look like, which makes them the most scary version for each individual audience member that they can possibly be. And I, Mm -hmm. I just, I love to see it. I love to see it. Retain that mystery. Don't show the monster. I love this opening. I think it, like, especially with a new season, things tend to, like, have a slow start, but this puts us right there. Jump in. Um, I do want to say, as a kid with anxiety, specifically about death, um, Dean did not go about this the right way. If you are in a grave, I've learned this when I was, like, nine. If you are buried alive, and you are in a coffin, the very first thing you do when you are ready to like open the coffin, put your t-shirt over your face so you don't suffocate on dirt to death. Yeah, he also like lights his lighter, which, you know, we want to see his face because he's pretty, but that uses up oxygen, uses Mm -hmm. up oxygen to shout (laughs) all this stuff. I'm sitting here like, Ooh, Dean, you are not good at being resurrected into a coffin. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. But like, to be fair, I have to think like, did he probably did not immediately know he was in a coffin. I think he was so disoriented. Oh, no, totally. I am. I'm just like, absolutely like just being a little shit. Like, no, no, totally. None of those thoughts actually occur to me, like in any kind of seriousness at all. Like, I definitely think it's likely that he doesn't realize that he is alive. There's also, um, I was like, Castiel, what the fuck? Right. Why are you- <laughs> Resurrected him into his grave. <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> yeah i was I just like that. the fuck he's like uh, he's gonna make you work for it yeah, you know <laughs> i guess if he can handle hell then he can handle getting out of a coffin mm-hmm. i can't remember if that actually ever gets addressed in the canon i don't think it does i don't think so all of the aesthetic qualities of this scene and the way it sets the tone for the episode are just so impeccable that I'm just compelled to not care. (laughs) Agreed. Honestly. Like, come on, like the digging out and that like classic zombie, like fucking Romero arms coming up out of the grave. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And just like how big they make it feel when he does actually get out and like all of the trees have been struck down and yeah. There's like a certain level of like strangeness to like the tree line being knocked over and like his centering in the middle of it makes it feel like he's at the center of a larger thing. And, you know, despite it's kind of on the nose Ness. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I I do find it fun that they highly emphasize the cross and the shadow of the cross and Dean's position uh, nearby it right at the moment of resurrection. I think I think that's fun. I just I love a little bit of that biblical shit and get that I like that the, spice. I've talked about Sam being the Antichrist and Dean being Jesus. And I'm like, oh, they literally set it up with the shadowing here. I know. I like when you were saying that before, I was like, <laughs> like, I think I was laughing. A lot of the times I'm like laughing because what you're saying is bullshit. But a lot of the times I'm also laughing because what you're saying is real. <laughs> well, I just like all of the metaphors they have. I'm like, of course, we've talked about John and how he's everything. But Dean, Dean is Jesus. Dean is Batman. Dean is- <laughs> 
like there's just so many weird things but yeah I just I really liked that scene with the cross that was really well done I think also there's like the brightness and clarity, the hugeness of the sky and contrasting that with like sort of the eerie tones in lieu of any kind of music, you know, the disorienting movements of camera. I just find like the whole thing very, like you do, you feel very confused and like kind of flipped upside down. And I think that's super important when we're thrust directly into his perspective the way we are in like the first few frames of the episode. And then like, (laughs) that's not even to speak to like just how incredible it is that there's only like two lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. in this whole thing. It's just him saying help. Yeah, Like it's so good. We talk a lot about like quietude in this show and how it's usually employed uh, in the exits of the episodes and how it like gives the audience a minute to sort of sit with the thematic content of the episode and like letting you experience the moment of it and like think about everything Mm -hmm. as a whole but they don't really do that at the beginning of the episode so it lends it this kind of charismatic mystery but also you get to feel really in the moment because as opposed to being a voyeur to conversation or events you are participating in the moment with the main character, honestly, as it happens. And I just, I love it. I love it. That's that shit that I like. (laughs) I actually really like this next scene too. Like um, we, I know you were talking about not showing the monster. I love that we're not showing the monster and it's like a red herring. We're actually like not showing the savior. Right. Right. There is this sort of like savior monster dichotomy going on here, which is like so cool. Yeah. It's honestly terrifying not knowing like what it is or the purpose. Like I think we're supposed to be like so suspect of it. Especially since like the real villain of this episode Mm -hmm. is incredibly visible and it's Dean's self-esteem. So, (laughs) You know, Even, like, setting aside, like, the first encounter outside of hell with Castiel in this gas station, Mm -hmm. I find this scene really charming. Like, there's just something about, like, gotta do people stuff, gotta get my water and eat my food and Mm -hmm. wash myself up. And, like, I don't know, as much as these sort of, like, buried alive scenes or interesting in that kind of like you know earth womb blah 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 whatever (laughs) bullshit there's something about like the basic everyday habits of human life Mm -hmm. Um, like the mundanity of that and like getting back into that routine um in contrast with like the hugeness of this thing that has just happened to him that Mm -hmm. is just it's just great. And like, he moves through it with the same attitude, basically, as the other stuff. Like, he's just like, well, (laughs) here I go. (laughs) Like, it's, it's so perfect. I just love it. And I think like, even um, if it hadn't been for the fact that it's like the the fetishy, busty Asian beauties, whatever, (laughs) I even would have found like, 
his excitement over porn really charming to be honest mm-hmm. like yeah. this is a character who is supposedly established as someone with a strong sense of like their sexuality and like you know porn is pretty much a universal human entertainment and it's like like of course he would be like yeah porn hell yeah like i just wish it wasn't that particular thing you know yeah i agree it's like yeah, the absolute that's... worst easter egg they could have mm-hmm. right it's like a like a weird repeated joke that just doesn't need to keep coming up it just won't die i don't know like <laughs> feels like that... one of those things where they're like if we say it enough it'll be funny and then it it just never gets there like yeah yeah, no, it was just never funny. I do like that. You can very much tell that the showrunner is in love with Dean and we're getting some Mandy. I actually kind of feel Mandy is man candy. Oh, thank you. I was, wondering. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I just see it. I, for some reason, feel like that's going to start to become a thing now that we have more boys. You got to make sure to flash those, uh, Dean. Um ditties in the in the mirror (laughs) i think maybe i don't know i feel like they're always very like chastely wardrobed you know what i mean like Mm. these boys don't have their ankles even out like (laughs) they're out there in like you know all of their undergarments and petticoats and jackets Mm. gloves and everything you know what i mean like they don't tend to have skin out his Denosia is reserved for Eric Kripke's mind only. <laughs> you can't just get on here and say things like Denosia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to have a serious podcast program here. No, I'm not. It's fine. It's fine. So I think you're referring to like the mirror scene. Yeah. I love the mirror scene. Same. I think there's something about like his physique. Like he's not like super ripped like Jared Padalecki is. <laughs> and he's just kind of like normal guy sized with like a little bit of tummy. And I think it's really cute. I don't know. But like the whole thing is just so adept at like contextualizing like his expectations and like reminding us that like his shit should be fucked up right now. Mm -hmm. Of course, like it's so like smart for someone who's just like jumping into the show as well, because like that person is like, oh, yeah, look at that little flashback. He got done Mm -hmm. fucked up. Yeah. What's up with that? You know, on top of that, we get that f- the first look at the the handprint. Ah, love the handprint. Oh. Handprint, iconic, fucking iconic image An of this incredibly show. Incredibly homoerotic, immediately. Yeah. Oh my god! Right, this episode, it, they they were just not fucking around. With, mm-hmm. They were like, we've seen all kinds of horror movies. Mm-hmm. We're going to incorporate as much homoeroticism based in the horror tradition as we possibly can fit in here. It's not just a handprint. Like, that's a fucking brand, dude. Like, yeah, I think like this is, yeah, the only way it could get more is it was like on the back of his fucking neck. <laughs> I think this is also what we've been asking for. Like, we've been asking for 
if they're going to do something different than original like legends like make it something bold like this this is so fucking cool it is no it is so it is so extremely cool i'm obsessed with it like Mm -hmm. frankly i'm obsessed with it there's so it's so completely like the way it reminds you of like the physicality of his experience in hell and mm-hmm. like the it's like a real reminder of that extrication obviously it's kind of gross looking i don't know there's just something very visceral about it and i hate to use yeah. that word because i feel like it gets overused a lot but i really do feel that way i don't know and and the idea like ideas of the body and the importance of the body are so important not just to this episode but to the whole series I don't, oh, it's just so good I do have a question mm-hmm. this is um of course skipping around a little to the end but it relates to this scene when Dane starts getting attacked by what we later find out is an angelic voice and he's like oh Dean you know I thought you would be you're able to hear the voices of angels now let's say I'm this person who can psychically understand angel language <laughs> Am I still stuck in like a wind tunnel of a sonic scream <laughs> that I can understand? Like, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, it would be like, hey, Dean, what's up? We gotta chat about some stuff, but also like the TV would still be going crazy and like all the glass would be shattering still. And you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> It's just like a fun image to have. No, in my yeah, head. no, totally, totally, totally. Yes. Honestly, I don't know which is scarier. <laughs> like that would be fucking terrifying too. True. I guess when you think of like the big booming voice of like God from the Bible, that's mm-hmm. kind of like what they're we could be conveying. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Like glass shouldn't it be shattering too? Like like <laughs> I really like how this all sets up. Obviously, we're meant to question, like, is it a demon? What could be this powerful? But also, like, it kind of makes Angel seem, like, horrifically powerful in such yeah. a fun way. Yeah, no, and I think that's definitely a goal of this episode. And not just this episode, but the following episode mm-hmm. as well when we get to that. Yeah, definitely. And I do love the sort of ambiguity of like, what mm-hmm. could this be? Like, I, I wish a little bit, Jordan, that you didn't know that, oh, like already that this was going to be Castiel. <laughs> because yeah. I think they do such a good job of obfuscating. Uh, ah, sorry, <laughs> I had to. Um, of obfuscating <laughs> what the, the monster could be. And it starts in this scene where we have all of these little signs of spirits that Mm -hmm. we've encountered in the past, like fucking with the radio and the TV static and everything. I actually was thinking that while watching this, I was like, wow, I bet this was really fun to watch the day it was airing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I bet it was. And I honestly wish that I had watched this episode fresh like that as well um, without you know, having some kind of an idea what was going on. I got that experience. I didn't know what was going on because um, it was on like media and I saw some things on Tumblr, but not anything like this. And I, I just remember like, this is one I actually remember and stands out because I think it's like where we're used to the trope where shows fall into the same rhythm and kind of like stakes art raised like this. Like this takes everything we faced before and puts it on an even larger scale 
it's just so fun and such a good setup for like um not just falling back to kind of safety of well let's fight some demons but putting in a greater stakes yeah and this was something that they had to work in even Mm -hmm. this was not something that was originally planned so i think that makes it even more fun to be honest Mm -hmm. maybe they should do that more too late now (laughs) (laughs) true it's incredible to me. I wrote down like the timestamp. It's seven minutes and 45 seconds is when there is the first dialogue between two characters. And it's wow. being on the phone with Bobby who hangs up on him like immediately. Mm-hmm. It's that was so heartbreaking. quiet. I, I just love it. Like I love that we're just allowed to experience the episode mm-hmm. and wonder at it. I know I was saying that before, but just to really like hammer that home, like Bobby and Dean have their confrontation like two or three minutes later. This is this is like a good third of the episode is just this near uh, void of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it's wonderful. Like, obviously, you can't do that for every episode. But man, what an atmosphere it creates. I really like how the first part of this episode was really focused on Dean's resurrection, his body's reaction to that, his own emotions by himself. And now we're almost like moving into the next chapter of an episode that's dealing with now the social implications of his death. Like the pacing is so well thought out here. It's very neat, very precise. Right, right. But it's not in a way that feels like mechanical. Like Mm -hmm. it does feel precise and it feels tight. And like I can sense like the care around the construction, but I'm not sitting here feeling like it was put together by like a factory, like watching like some Disney stuff can kind of be a formulaic. That's that's the word. It doesn't have that formulaic feel, despite that I can like feel the the movements of it mm-hmm. i also like the hot wiring of the car because <laughs> um with sam's death there's a lot of like but he didn't come back the same but with dean it feels like he did come back the old dean like he came back knowing mm-hmm. how to do things exactly what to do like he almost feels like an improved version of himself right like he yeah he popped up out of the grave he was like all right, necessities, Sam, Bobby phone calls. Now we got to hijack a car. This is just very, mm-hmm. very Dean. I love that you bring up the, um, is there something wrong with my brother from the previous season? Because like, I was wondering about that too. There, and it, it is, it is much later, but you know, since you're mentioning it now, when they're all in the hotel room together and Bobby is like asking him, like, do you feel like yourself? Um, and they just kind of take it at face value that he does. And it doesn't really come up again. Um, and it's so, so different from the way that like they wondered about Sam after he had been, um, brought back to life, which is, which mm. is interesting considering that I, I think the implication is that Sam was not in hell at mm-hmm. all. Like, I, I, th- I think we're intended to believe he was like in a better place. Whereas we know for a fact Dean was in hell. So you would think that like they would be a little more sus about that. But no, it's interesting. What did y'all think about Bobby and Dean reuniting? Oh my gosh, I love it. I know. It's so good. 
How was it like at once so tender and funny and combative? I just, I'm just obsessed with it. They're so cute. I could not get over that Bobby would not even let himself hope until he knew for sure like you could tell after the even the water when he splashes it in in dean's face like that's when he truly lets himself hope yeah there's just so much going on in this scene and it's all so good first like he literally brings up a shapeshifter and a revenant Mm -hmm. like we're literally pulling from episodes that we've had um we have the silver knife which i was like did he need to cut himself with that? Or is it like Buffy rolls where he can just hold it against his skin and he'll sizzle? Right. But either way, it was very fun. And then like, I just like how Bobby is constantly reminding Dean like how hard it was for him while he was gone. It's just like in direct justification to John who would like never do something like that. Right. Or like Dean also acknowledges he's all like, you're the closest thing to a father. I think he said I have. Yeah. Yeah really fun really well choreographed and really touching Mm -hmm. all at the same time with john it probably would have been like even if he had like admitted it was hard he would have been like well you don't know what i've gone through or something petty where bobby's just like like you don't know what it's been like kind of like coming at it where from like a um don't judge me and i'm not judging you like we're here now place rather than uh let me use this as blame for sure I'm also very interested in like the tone of the conversation surrounding Sam and how that sort of starts up because the way Dean talks to Bobby about Sam does strike me as very parental. Like he's literally admonishing Bobby over not taking care of him in his absence. Absolutely. And I'm like, wow, like he doesn't, I, I think Dean spends a lot of time emphasizing the sibling aspects of their dynamic, but every now and again, the way too young to be a parent, but still a parent jumps out. And I'm like, ah, also my heart. <laughs> I actually really liked how they approached this whole thing because um we didn't need to really go too much into what Sam was doing during this whole time because we've literally mm-hmm. had a whole episode dedicated to it. Yeah, in the mystery spot. That's part of what makes it such a great episode, I think. It saves them time here. Yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of payoff. This whole um, red herring of Sam potentially having made a demon deal works so well in, in the longer narrative of this episode, too, I think. Because truly, demons are the most powerful thing they've encountered. So that's really all Dean can assume. And there were, there was a lot in season three about Sam feeling like he needed to turn into Dean in order to survive without him. And Dean's like, well, the first thing I did when Sam died was to try and get him back. So mm-hmm. of course that's, you know, what he must be doing. But then also, I just love this because of the detail of Sam's insistence that Dean be buried instead of burned. Like, it's just, it's just so good. Like, I, once again, I'm saying, like, I really wish I could have experienced this without, like, any Mm -hmm. sort of idea about cast because, man, how cool would it be to, like, really be jerked around in all these different directions by this excellently crafted episode? 
Mm. No, absolutely. We see Sam in like such a difficult place and also Bobby, but I like the touches that just let us know that they still had hope. Um, Like those are the most heartbreaking parts of this episode is to know they were waiting and to know like even though sam was like i'm not going to repeat this pattern and do a demon deal myself or well he also couldn't um but to know they did everything they could in the hope that there was some way he'd come back yeah yeah absolutely and i think even um the idea of keeping his body like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like totems of Dean's, you have to wonder, like, was Sam maybe hoping even just for like an angry ghost of Dean or like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, exactly. It's, it's so, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I feel like that thought process actually follows in this scene too. Like that ties into how Dean finds Sam. Like, I almost feel like Sam made it so only Dean would be able to find him. Like, it was just very, because, like, Bobby had been looking forever, but, like, Dean knew exactly how to find him. And, like, they don't tell you that's intentional, but, like, between the lines, it feels like Sam intentionally made it so Dean could find him. Like, he had that hope there. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, we get the new Ruby. Yeah. What did you think, Jordan? Oh, so I wanted to ask you about that. I don't know if I like blinked. Did we find out <laughs> she's Ruby in this episode? Yeah. Yeah. It was at the very end, right? Yeah. Yeah, the very end, correct. Okay. I pegged that immediately because really? um, Yeah, because I like knew this actress. Like she's been in stuff. And like mm-hmm. I'm like, they're not gonna waste a like just have this actress be one of Sam's pump and dumps. So God, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's true. Like, uh, so I'm like, oh, she she has to be secretly Ruby. Mm-hmm. It also. Did you know they're married? Who is she married to? Uh, to Sam, the actor. Oh, oh, that's um. Oh, really? Well, she's very beautiful. Good for him. Sorry, but I don't know how he swung that one. <laughs> like no shade to him it's just like she's really hot was she in a movie with jensen ackles no no she looks a lot like the one girl i don't know one girl i feel like he was in a show (laughs) a movie i saw forever ago like well over 10 years ago that was just a made for tv movie where he was like a waiter or worked in a sub shop or something no he was in that with his wife oh his his wife looks pretty similar am i making no, that she up doesn't she doesn't they look, look wildly different like her oh wow i don't know oh, i'm drunk not really <laughs> go to sleep go okay, to bed so... it's bedtime <laughs> this scene was very interesting because mm-hmm. we do see that even though sam was hopeful and had tried everything to get dean back there is a level here that he is kind of moving on. Because, mm-hmm. like, this isn't just, I know I jokingly called it her a pump and dump, but, like, they were hanging out, like, getting pizza. I don't think this, I think this is meant to be, like, show that this has been a recurring thing with this girl. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know. There's something, too, to say about, like, I was a little shocked that Sam is kind of moving forward still. And it kind of shows like, I mean, life does go on. For sure. 
I do love the implication in this episode, which is like substantiated by like her leaving her underwear around and stuff yeah. um, that they've already like initiated like a sexual relationship. Like, like they're together. <laughs> yeah. Like no one right out says that, but, mm-hmm. but it's like you said, it's, like, it's not just that she's hanging out in her underwear. They're like eating pizza together and yeah. stuff. I find when they come to the door, the difference in Dean's response to being reunited and and just the difference in like meetings in general between Dean Mm -hmm. and Sam versus how it was with Bobby, like very striking. Like when, when Dean shows up at Bobby's, he's kind of got this like sheepish, like almost puppy eyes kind of thing going on. And they're very playful or the tone of that whole scene is playful anyway, but it's also like kind of tender. This one is so dramatically different. Like, I feel like there's this like confidence and self like sense of like pride in Sam, not in himself. Um, But, and then like the way that Sam comes at him feels way more aggressive than Bobby. And I do wonder if that's maybe just because Sam is just enormous but it does feel a lot more like urgent than the re- the scene where he reunites with Bobby. Yeah, I don't know if that was like an acting choice or if that was like intentional direction. Because yeah, it is not exactly where I was expecting it to go. It was very aggressive. Yeah, um, well, and I think also there seems to me to be this undertone of like hurt from Dean that really wasn't there with Bobby. Like Sam was just supposed to know. That it was him. Sort of like yeah. Dean just knew what name and social security number Sam would have been using for like his his cell phone plan. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, that totally makes sense. Whereas like Bobby, like him and Dean are close, but not in the way that him and Sam are. Yeah, I feel like this is they've already had so much trauma. Now this season is let's unpack the trauma of the last six months. <laughs> like I feel so bad that like Dean and Sam reunite and they get one hug and then they're fighting like almost immediately. It really reminds me of them reuniting with their dad in season one Mm. in that way. Oh yeah. They're just like immediately like at each other's throats. And I find this argument really odd. Does it kind Mm -hmm. of feel to you guys? Cause this is the sense I got that they're like, talking past each other like they're really having two different conversations at the same time you know what I mean like, no I can, can definitely see that yeah so like Sam is like really upset and like apologizing for not for not mm-hmm. saving Dean like he wanted to be the one to do it and Dean is on the other end angry at Sam for saving him and they're like talk they're kind of talking over each other and past each other and like both missing the other's point and it's it really hurts me <laughs> yeah it hurts me i'm like oh my gosh like they're so close and they know each other so well but they're not listening to each other at all yeah. like immediately and like the way dean ends the conversation by saying it's okay like what does he mean by that Right. I'm like, yeah, is he like, it's okay that you didn't save me or like, it's okay that you tried to deal with a demon to save me. Like, I forgive you for doing that. Or is he like literally just being like, it's okay. As in like, you know, you're okay. Take a deep breath. 
you know, like they're so bad at talking to each other here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of in line of their relationship with each other though. Yeah, sure. This yeah. Kind of makes it sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in that last year, they weren't very good at being honest about mm-hmm. feelings and goals and intentions at all. Oh, that's definitely how I took it. Just like that miscommunication. Yeah. Continue. Okay. I'm glad that wasn't just me because like for a second, I was like, not sure if maybe I was reading too much into it and Mm -hmm. like, but okay. Like it does feel intentional. So that's good. If it's okay with you guys, I I really want to talk about this hotel. Yeah. It's so aesthetically interesting and different from a lot of the other hotel rooms that we see them in, like the sort of highway side ones. And I Mm -hmm. think part of that is maybe because it's supposed to be like further into a town um, as opposed to like sort of off the side of like the interstate or whatever. But first off, so the place is called Astoria, which is like the place version of Aster, which is a word derived from I think like some kind of Scandinavian but anyway the point is that it's in reference to both Birds of Prey and Thunder so Mm -hmm. like as you get to the end of the episode it's like oh wow like it's like a neat little nugget to think about um you know Cass with his big wings and like all the storm sounds and everything that they brought in I just love that attention to detail but then the room itself is so wild to me so it's like clear that this place is supposed to be like one of those like hourly places you rent out to like meet with like sex workers and stuff yeah but like the the inside of the room is like first off so clean I'm obsessed with the tiger print wallpaper yeah It's so obnoxious and like the gold painted um, wooden frames on the art, those gold couches and this like false sense of opulence to the point of tackiness. But there's also Mm -hmm. like this sort of sense of like predation and threat because of the emphasis on predator animals that's going on. Um, And the art is really dark. And you can't really see the figures and the art on the walls very well, which I thought was very, very strange, um, but Mm -hmm. made sense in like the larger context of the episode. And then to top all of that off, the whole room is bathed in this red light all the time. It's just so, it's so cool. I feel like the light, the use and the use of color in this episode is just, uh, I love it. Yeah, there's like, I actually kind of noticed that there has, there was this palette throughout the episode where it was like all muted warm tones. Like it was all like the whole episode was like olive, like a dusty orange or red. Right. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I kind of like that there's all these very aggressive colors going on, to be honest. It's really fun. It is. It is. It's so fun. I think like all of the emotions are very um, Mm -hmm. wild and, and high. So it makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it works really well, especially for Sam knowing like what a bad place he's supposed to be in, or at least like what a different place from the last time we've seen him. Like this is almost the last place we'd expect him. We'd expect Dean there a lot sooner, Yeah, Um, which I really like that detail and kind of like, well, he couldn't go down his brother's path of like of trying to get him back, but he still went through some of those unhealthy coping. Right, right. Totally. So we touched briefly earlier on the fact that 
Bobby asks Dean about if he feels like himself after coming back to life Mm -hmm. and how that's just sort of taken at face value. But I'm really interested too in this follow-up to that, which is a brief interaction between Sam and Dean where Sam asks about hell and Dean says he doesn't remember. So this is, we didn't mm-hmm. bring it up before, but this is actually the second time that Dean has responded to that question. And I think the first time you kind of have some reasonable doubt, even despite how the episode opens, you know, you can take that as being like linear, like he's in hell, he's out of hell. Mm-hmm. Now he's yeah. saying he doesn't remember. But this one is different because of what follows the conversation with Sam And I love it. I love it. I love it so much. And I have a feeling Jordan loved it too. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Getting some of that hell trauma, getting getting some hints of that real early. Like if it was just once that he had said that he didn't remember hell, I um, would have been like, fine. But the fact that they kept making it a point, I was like, oh, I'm (laughs) ready. I'm ready for it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's something so wonderfully awful about that bathroom scene because it's like you know it's not just like the the flashes of hell themselves we did we because we saw those earlier we so we're a little bit used to them visually by now but it's like the oppressive atmosphere of that bathroom with like the the black and red and the way he's like you know is searching his own reflection and like confronting himself it's, it's a lot. It's a whole lot. And that scene is like, not even a minute. I'm like, wow, <laughs> the emotions. <laughs> yeah, I really like the touch of just the flashes, because I think even though it's repeated a few times in the conversation around it is a little annoying, just like that jarring image and like imagining Dean having to like have these conversations while that goes through his mind like really affects your emotions yeah it really does and I think that's part of what like this bathroom scene does is remind you that he's thinking about this all the time yeah like throughout this episode not just in in this moment of panic by himself Mm -hmm. but really while he's been trying to deal with the events of the day and everything that follows Mm -hmm. my poor little guy (laughs) my sweet little baby angel no (laughs) i miss ipods oh yeah they know even though they do stuff cars (laughs) even though they do shove cars jordan honestly i think dean would love an ipod too I bet he's mm-hmm. going to fall in love with that iPod in the car. You would think that, but he's a pretentious little shit. <laughs> yeah, I think if he gave it a chance, he would, but there's no way that man is giving it a chance. Nope. He's going to balance a record player on his lap while he <laughs> yeah, yeah, drives only on the highway. That. No, that's why he has a tape deck, Jordan. Oh, so he can make love tapes to Castiel. I hate iPods too. <laughs> I forgot that you knew about that. <laughs> No, I didn't. What? I made that up. <laughs> I'm glad though. I probably did at one point. I probably just forgot. Oh my god. Yeah, no, he totally makes a mixtape of Led Zeppelin songs. Oh god. That are that... his favorites and his favorite Led Zeppelin songs are the ones that his parents enjoyed together and bonded over when they were of falling course. in love. And this is the tape that he gives to Castiel. Oh my god. In like this season could... 12 wow Uh they're a mess they're a mess this is why i'm insane jordan (laughs) (laughs) 
So I do want to say that mixtape sounds like an absolute nightmare to me, but I'm glad they enjoy it. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh. If some man handed me that, I'd be like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How thoughtful. <laughs> Jordan, he wrote two X's oh. instead of CKS. He wrote tracks with X's. Wow. He only put in two. He didn't want to do the third one because then everyone would know he's a bottom. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm ending this conversation now before we get too far off the rails. So they put a really big emphasis on his um, amulet here. Like they did that shot. I've honestly forgot about this amulet. It's really ugly. It looks like a Power Ranger villain. (laughs) I kind of like it. Yeah. It's really ugly, but I like it anyway. Kind of looks like it a looks like with fake lits and a mullet. Oh my god! Yeah, it looks like when my first job was at the like bead slash head store, all the stuff like the middle aged hippie women going through midlife crisis would come in and buy. Like, get that and one of those reversible skirts with the two layers of fabric, and you're set. I mean, to be honest, I just like it because of what it represents. And I forgive it, it's ugliness because of that. (laughs) But I think it's really important to have that there after they just had that big fight. Yeah, that's true. With all of the other conflict going on in the episode, I feel like it's just so important to remind the audience that they care about each other a lot and they do love each other a lot. It's just, (laughs) you know, a family is really difficult even without huge metaphysical problems <laughs> yeah true i really enjoy how they can't figure it out so they call on pamela pamela i have many feelings about pamela yeah very mixed for me yeah yeah definitely same definitely same on the one hand i'm like pamela i will treat you right <laughs> and on the other hand i'm like Pamela, you can't just sexually assault people. This is like a common trope. I mean, in TV in general, but like, especially in this show, it's like their way of making a woman quirky is by making her sexually aggressive. I don't fully understand it. I don't Mm -hmm. get why it's supposed to be funny or like what they're trying to convey with it. Right. Let me tell you what I think it is. I think what they're saying is that Pamela is confident and fun and flirty. Pamela is supposed to be a female Dean in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100% down to like her, you know, hard rock aesthetic and like her band t-shirt, the framed poster on the wall, her big audiophile cupboard with all of the tapes and records and everything. And I think the problem is that Eric Kripke has no fucking clue <laughs> what women are like. Yeah. I, I sincerely question if he's paid attention at all mm-hmm. during any conversation he's ever had with a woman. And if he has, I don't think he's translated that ever into a female character that makes any mm-hmm. fucking sense. Um, yeah. Because this is exactly like, you know, in like classical painting 
where <laughs> basically women's bodies are just men's bodies with boobs on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is exact. That's the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to make a man character, but it's going to be a lady actually. And because of that, it really just reads to me as being afraid of women being sexual. Yeah. Because and, like, and I think it falls into the trope of like, um, I don't understand what female sexual agency would even look like. Right. Exactly. Like it, there's an attempt of being like, oh, here's this woman who has somewhat of control, but then the control is just now let's like harm other people and be problematic. Like, it's just so fucked. Yeah. And then she's like immediately punished after showing sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's just very confusing and very weird. It is. This is part of what I get into with my essay that I've been crafting about gender and sexuality in this episode, Mm -hmm. which is where I'm going to put the majority of my thoughts on um, homoerotic stabbing. (laughs) Mm. So you're aware. But yeah, I do think that her, her eyes being burned out is a sort of metaphorical castration of Mm -hmm. her um, sexual agency and her like female sexuality so yeah um yeah no awesome. i mean it's it's because like so she's embodying like sight right like yeah the mm-hmm. act of looking and you know obviously part of that is in this metaphysical way like she has second sight but it's very strongly emphasized that they mean a literal act of looking with your fucking eyeballs because the second she opens that door they they have her give dean a very slow once over and like talking about again like male sexual assault being something that comes up repeatedly in this show what makes it different i think is the way sometimes it's brushed off sometimes it's funny and sometimes it's grotesque and it really depends heavily on the context But this scene was really interesting to me because, like, of Dean's visceral reaction to it. He's like, what the fuck? Like, immediately. And the lack of response from anyone else. I'm like, wow. (laughs) That's, like, real life. (laughs) That's, like, how that happens in real life. (laughs) The thing that was kind of interesting, um, there's, like, that old, like, warning, you know, that people would say, like, if you touch yourself, you're gonna go blind. She, like, literally touched someone and then immediately went blind. Oh my fucking god, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, I wasn't was thinking of it like that. Yeah. I will say, her eyes melting out of her head while staring at an angel was kind of fun. No, it was. It was really fucking cool. Like, yeah. it sucks that that was clearly, like, punishment for, you know, a woman having sexual power. The actual fact of her witnessing something that a human is not supposed to see and having her eyeballs melt out of her head because of it. That's sick as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Oh, it's just so good. And I like how this amps up the horror like we were talking about. Um, Like, yeah, try new things. Give us weirdly graphic. Just make, don't make it punishment for a woman being sexual and don't make her a creep. And I think um, there's something really, again, biblical here going on. Like, I really feel like, mm-hmm. like um, you know, they have the flames and the candles jet up. So you sort of get the sense that she's perceiving 
the image of Castiel like, mm-hmm. in the flames. And that just feels very like Old Testament, you know? And and again, it's just that's just that special spice. I love to see it. Mm-hmm. The effects on the eyes themselves, like even if like they don't totally make sense, I love how crusty they are. And it was just it's just really fun. I want more of that. No, like, absolutely. Like that fucking pathetic eyeball scoop in um <sighs> right, right in the Doc Benton episode. Mm-hmm. Like they could never like this is spectacular in comparison coming up next is the one scene that i'm like why (laughs) that's so funny i was just thinking the exact same thing (laughs) i always forget about it yeah because you're watching it and you're like why yeah briefly i do want to recognize the actress who is the demon waitress Her name is Jen Haley, and she is a Battlestar Galactica alum. She Mm -hmm. played the pilot Hardball. Hardball, that's right. I knew I recognized her, like, and I had just never looked it up until, like, last week. And I was like, that's right. As soon as I saw, (laughs) like, Battlestar Galactica on her IMDb page, I could see her in my mind's eye so clearly with the backwards Razorback tank top. She is great. Yeah, no, I actually thought her acting in this scene was really good. I love the way she delivered her lines. It's just the conversation was very strange. And the way it played out was also fucking bizarre. And I don't understand the point of it. Yeah, this really could have been edited down to be more impactful and interesting. Mm -hmm. But I guess, like, I'll take this little two-minute dud. Yeah, I, it just it just sticks out so bad to me. I don't know. I will give it this. I do love that Sam is just straight up in the middle of a dining room in a public place yelling mm-hmm. about looking for demons. <laughs> and then a demon sits down at the table and is like, hi. Because <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every single time they're in public talking about demons, I'm like, is no one concerned is no like (laughs) are they not worried about people listening to them yeah I just feel like we could rely on Sam having been doing things that we haven't seen for three months I don't know if it's actually been three months I'm just kind of throwing a number out but because this diner scene have been 30 seconds long and Sam been like oh my the demons have been afraid because mm-hmm. that's what we got to. that was the point we were making here is that the demons are scared of whatever brought Dean back and don't know what it is right and we got that from the scene with Ruby later there are some things that I still am like I'm glad that's in this episode because it just needed that weirdo Dean flavor like mm-hmm. when he makes the comment about being rescued from hell because of his perky nipples or whatever yeah and then i'm just oh my gosh i know right but i'm sitting here with this image of like instead of cats grabbing him like bodily just like airlifting (laughs) him out by his nipples (laughs) cast wood Mm-hmm. But yeah, like all of this Dean showboating and the slapping and then the weird like thing with the money for the pie and like the upward camera angle that's supposed to make him look cool and her look kind of pathetic. I'm just like, 
I really don't understand what is happening with this. And I wish it just wasn't yeah. <laughs> like, why wouldn't they just be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And leave. Uh-huh. Like, what was the point of all that? Yeah, it was a lot. It really they, was. They even paid for the pie before leaving. Yeah. What is that about? Why? Just why to all of this? I don't know. I don't know. Eric Kripke, I have questions for you. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for y'all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who are they even fighting for? Sam and Dean. <laughs> this is why I wonder this. So they leave this diner. Mm-hmm. Or like restaurant, which is like full of demons, right? And they're essentially like, well, we don't have time to deal with that because we're dealing with this other thing. And I'm like, okay, so <laughs> you're just sort of letting demons hang out and like yeah. for fun, demons like to torture people and do whatever. And, you know, like ostensibly they're fighting to like keep hell from erupting onto the earth even more, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, like, really, truly, who are they fighting for? Like, their focus is so isolated from society and, like, people. Like, they really don't seem to have much concern for the material harm that demons hanging out would do. So I'm just sitting here like, hmm. (laughs) I mean, Sam Mm kind of does. Like, he really wants to kill all the demons. That's true. Like, I guess they kind of make a point of it. I think it actually plays into what you're saying. I think he wanted to kill them because he wanted to kill them, not to save anyone in particular. Uh It kind of plays into their John brainwashing, though. Right. Right. This is what they know. This is what they're supposed to do. Right. Like, what else are they going to do? Yeah, even Sam, who was able to get out of it, gets pulled back in so easily. Well, it doesn't help, too, that, like, it's not just John at this point. It's, like, he has Ruby around, like, mentoring him or whatever. All of his concerns about getting Dean out of hell, even if he wasn't attached at the hip to Ruby and, like, all this stuff. So I just feel so bad for them. (laughs) Let me hug you, you stupid boys. (laughs) (laughs) So this is when they're sleeping, right? And Sam sneaks out? Yeah, Sam sneaks out and that's when the hotel room gets kind of poltergeisty. Correct. Castiel, as we find out towards the end of the episode, this is Castiel trying to contact Dean a second time. I'm really interested in the use of mirrors again in this scene. Dean wasn't looking into the mirror in the gas station when all of the glass exploded and everything, but he does look into a mirror here and it just really smacks of like, you know, recognition of the self and the other kind of like, like yeah. he's, he's looking, seeking out the creature, but what he sees when he looks around is himself. And I'm just like, that shit that I like, that's <laughs> that shit that I like. <laughs> I think there's something even more frantic about this one, this scene, not just because of like the way he sees himself in the mirror, but maybe also because he was like asleep when it started and there, like the tone feels very different because of the atmosphere of the room. Like I was saying earlier, like this idea of predation going on, the red lighting and the glass falling from the ceiling from the mm-hmm. mirrors is a whole lot too. Like just on like a, a straight up like 
yeah, that would be a lot to deal with kind of like on the (laughs) level, (laughs) not even talking about like ways to manipulate emotion on screen. (laughs) (laughs) So I think Bobby kind of like bursts in here and Bobby just, he's always ready. Bobby, he's just like, I'm going to help you out. He just gets him out of there. I love it. They immediately call Sam and it kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier. Sam actually did go back to see what mm-hmm. the demons were doing. This kills me. I'm, I'm going to jump a- ahead a little bit mm-hmm. to talk about this fully. But like, so Dean doesn't tell Sam what's going on. And mm-hmm. then to Bobby is like, well, I don't want to talk to Sam about the fact that I just want to go try and summon this Castiel guy because Sam will try and stop me. Fast forward a little bit to Sam's conversation with Ruby. He doesn't want to tell Dean about his powers yet because he's not going to get it. And he's just going to try and stop me. And I'm just like, oh, my fucking God. (laughs) (laughs) They're so annoying. (laughs) Um, And I think that that bit also on top of the fact that it you know really lets us know they're both digging their heels in and they're not ready to listen to each other it it also sort of places ruby and castiel in these um similar positions and their relationship to the brothers which i find interesting and compelling now that we've got Cass's name i just want to talk about his name origin real quick because i didn't know it oh yeah 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 let's hear about that i would love to hear about castiel <laughs> I always want to hear about Castiel. Honestly, um, like, yeah. Across languages and histories, names change. But we're going to go with from Cassiel and Cafciel, just changes spelling slightly throughout time. But he's one of the seven archangels. So, like, the fighting angels. He's the angel of Saturn in particular. Mm-hmm. And he is in Jewish, Christian, and Islamic mystical works, which is just fascinating to me. He's everywhere. His name means my cover is God, the speed of God, or God is my anger. God is my anger? What the fuck? Yeah. That's incredible. I knew the other one, like, because that's like the shield of God or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I think it sets up so much to not even like even coming soon, but just knowing that like, I never even heard that. That's fascinating to me. I just wanted to tell y'all about his name. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. No, that's fun. If he were sad, and I wonder if they made him a Capricorn or Aquarius in the series, Ooh. I'm going to be looking. I don't know why, but he kind of gives me Capricorn vibes. Actually, what his sign might be is like kind of a conversation within fandom. I think a lot of people put him as a Virgo because they count September 18th as like his mm. birthday. But I actually don't think he's very Virgo-y. I don't think he is at all. Well, I'm yeah, sure have no. lots of opinions about this as I get <laughs> to know him. You may have noticed that it's been over an hour and <laughs> nearly done even with the episode's basic plot beats. We separated this episode into two parts to make this week's content a little less daunting in length. This concludes part one, and we hope you'll join us again in part two for the introduction of Castiel, our weekly fanfiction highlight, episode reading, and Jordan's predictions. Bye for now.